first time first time you've been here on my love seat <laughs> we, this is uh, the inspiration for love this no oh, well to be soundtrack? honest it's uh there's many ways to do a podcast and i like to, instead of strapping people up with mics and and kind of being in each other's faces i think it's like more of like a car ride that we take together you know it's like it's one of those car rides where we open up because we can look mm -hmm. off into the into the distance and and that's I think that's when the soul really activates sometimes when it's not you know it's not distracted by what someone might think of you what they're looking at you what their expression looks like um, and that's why the studio we do it on a couch and we basically we, we open up a bit more than we might otherwise so today we have here Fran and uh, Fran you you were always going to be on the podcast at some point um, it was just a matter of when uh, when I needed you, and when I needed you, you came. <laughs> Always right there, Johnny on the spot. Yeah, so Fran is my neighbor, and uh, we are, we're about to have a great relationship for a long time. <laughs> oh, this because projection, What? Goodness. I don't know, it's That's been, fine. well, it's been it's recent, true. it's been recent. So, I, I moved here to South Beach um, during COVID, and I saw Fran around, um, you know, just in passing, and in the beginning of COVID, it was very difficult to get to know uh, one's neighbors uh, and to feel at home or welcome even in an apartment complex. Um, but what happened was, well, the turning point, the turning point, Fran, was when I was reading this book about, um, you know, about how to live a more fulfilling life, and, and it was, to be honest, it was a lot of vanilla. It was a lot of just stuff I had heard a million times. You know, once you read a lot of self-help, eventually a lot of it starts to sound the same. And who then do you, you like just, the best? Who do I like? Oh, I, I, I did love Tony Robbins when I read his mm -hmm. stuff. And um, a lot of his stuff did change me. So Tony is a great inspiration. But anyway, this book was talking about different service programs um, that, you know, basically help, you know, they help the elderly as well. So there were some that were like, setting up part setting up different relationships with the elderly there's actually this this organization in Britain in in in, uh, in England where they would actually it was like a running club mixed with they would run to an elderly person and then like help them or be with them and then it they combined somehow exercise and then like you know being a a friend to the elderly and so you know I saw, I, I read about that and I did a little research about different organizations that I could volunteer weekly and, and, and help with the elderly. And then at one point I was like, geez, I keep passing Fran. I want to hang out with Fran. I want to talk with Fran. Why don't I just do a phone call with Fran every week? And, <laughs> and so we did. And so now we have a Sunday chat around 3 p.m. Uh, even if I'm on a boat or on a golf course, I'll make sure I have an alarm set and I will call you. I don't know if I should be, should I feel um, good about that or not? <laughs> you are, you are a priority for me. Oh, not, not, not everyone has an alarm in my life, for, you know, because I don't, I prefer to wake up before my alarm. That's actually one of the keys to great sleep is, can you, it's okay to set an alarm. It's but always it, like a game you play, you know, what happens if I oversleep? You know? It's always okay to have a backstop, you know, it's okay to have a, a worst case scenario, your alarm wakes you up. But ideally, you're always woken up. You always wake up before your alarm. Because who wants to wake up to an alarm, right? That's not. That's no kind of life. But anyways, uh, so I do have alarms on my phone. Like I have one to call my brother. Um, you know, most of my family members. One good habit that I have is that I FaceTime each of my family members. They have their own day. So I have a, I'm blessed to have a big family. There's seven of us, and so six days. There's a, each person what has a their day. Thing to do that's very nice. And people, I found, obviously, they're, it's tough to be consistent until you're really consistent. So we even have a specific time in the day like that. that we're like, we expect each other to call each other, you know? And so I tend to be the one to reach out, <laughs> and it doesn't always connect. But I'd say your connect ratio, Fran, has been like almost 100%. Yeah. <laughs> I answer the phone. Not so, all the time, not to everybody. Yeah, you know, you know fear, and that's why you're here. I mean, some. Some people are, you know, everyone has a story to tell, and I appreciate getting to know anyone in town. Um, obviously, we have 24 heroes every year, so there's only so many people who can be on the podcast, but, you know, 
everyone has a story. So anyone who I ask is interesting. Honestly, everyone has something to share with each other. Everyone has interesting um, things that have happened that they can they can definitely help others and as they go through their lives and their challenges. So let's start with that, Fran. Uh, where were you born? Like, where did you grow up? So I'm Brooklyn, Queens in the Bronx. Anytime anybody asks me, I'm a New York girl and born in Brooklyn, raised in Queens and married the Bronx. And um, I think being in those places, I love being in Queens. I loved my teenage years. I was a real hanger on the street corner kind of girl. And, what does that mean? Well, that's what I was hanging on the corner, watching all the Because you like being outside with all the yeah, social you would scene. meet. You would meet either at the playground or at the drugstore. And you just congregate. It was just like a very social kind of uh, gathering. And it was very interesting that the Queens was really like an upward middle class environment. And then marrying the Bronx into another kind of environment. And I think more than anything else, the Bronx was like the teacher for me. Mm. And taught me different people, different ideas, different things, different neighborhoods. Very, very grateful for that experience. Okay, so where, uh, where did you go to college? I went to Herbert H. Lehman College in the Bronx. Herbert H. Lehman was a governor of New York. And the college was originally Hunter College, uh, uptown. So in the Bronx, I guess in the Northwest Bronx, there's a marvelous, marvelous campus and a reservoir. And Herbert Lehman College and the reservoir kind of butted up against each other. And it was a lovely, lovely campus. I was married very young and had children very young, so going to college was like an aspiration. This is what you have to do. So I worked very hard to save enough money to get there, but I finished a bachelor's degree and master's degree at Herbert H. Lee College, okay. as well as some, you know, some postdoc credits. And what was your master's in? Early childhood education. Early childhood education. And that is so important these days. Uh, I, I mean, it. It, is, it is basically giving people, people's formation of their brains is so important. We know this. And one of the biggest things is reading for a kid, right? So one opportunity that more of us, now that more of us work remotely, we have some time, there's actually one opportunity with United Way here where you can tutor, help tutor kids mm -hmm. to read. So you basically are with them as a fail and, and try to read books and you basically guide them and support them and so that's that's an opportunity that uh, is part of our local voices volunteer hotline which you if you want to join there's a number uh, it's on Michael Gongor's post but basically that's one opportunity where there's there's definitely ways for adults everyone in America to kind of help the youth I mean everyone can be a part of it but you were extra part of it you were focused on it so wh where did you go from there like what was your first job well, in order to get any job, I had to be an assistant teacher because that was at the level of competency that I had. So I had babies at this time, so I went to work as an assistant teacher because that's really what I wanted to do and um, enjoyed every minute of it and had to become a teacher. So you needed more additional credits. So I got to be a teacher and uh, a, quite a dramatic teacher and never thought the job was ever over. It was always this tremendous draw. Uh, you have to do it a different way next time or let's try it again or maybe we shouldn't even do it at all. So you're always questioning what you were doing with these children that you were. And this was three-year-olds, primarily three and four-year-olds. Uh, after that, I was lured into a position at the college as a problem-solving specialist. And that showed me the rest of the Bronx with all these wonderful neighborhoods from the South Bronx all the way to Riverdale and all the way around again, if you know the Bronx. And um, Problem-solving problem solving. So uh, the person that I work with, Marianne Winnick, who was a teacher and mentor of mine, uh, her role was to develop problem-solving techniques for adults as well as for children in order for children to be competent in problem-solving. Adults had to be competent in problem-solving. So our job was to kind of look for the problem with a 
group of teachers, whether it was discipline in the classroom or classroom environment or parent teachers or your own personal growth, what's wrong here? Let's take a look at it. So this was the whole two-year grant, just looking at solutions and strategies to attack this problem. What I learned more than anything else, nobody has any problems. They just love to complain, but they can't articulate that mm. complaint into the problem or what the possibility is from that problem. And nobody wants to ingest the problem like their problem. It's not my problem, it's mm -hmm. their problem. So it was very, very interesting in the dynamics of that. And until I understand this, understood the strategies myself, it took a couple of years. But I also got to know teachers very well. And I got to know directors very well. And, at, um, and then the next job up was a consultant for the Agency for Child Development, which was really um, a major input into the world of children and who they are and what they do and how we can prepare a better so what's the most important thing that, that we're not doing right now? Well, for, for me personally, uh, and I think it took a while, well, it didn't take a while for me to understand that. I think all children need to be bilingual. Mm. I think children need to be speaking Spanish or anything for that matter, whatever it might be, mm -hmm. as young as you possibly can, yeah. almost to the point of having, if you can, get a nanny, that nanny speaks in Spanish, you speak in English, mm. whatever it is. So there's that constant learning of language and um, I think it develops power, a mm -hmm. feeling that you can communicate with anybody. I also think it stretches the neurons and all those parts of your brain that needs to be stretched otherwise they fly away, disappear. It's, yeah, it, it expands your brain at mm -hmm. a young age. I mean I'm blessed that I French, uh, French was one of my first languages. My family well, that was that, that, that's the whole thing. You were, it was spoken to you. you. It wasn't a big deal. You didn't learn it. Yeah. You were, it was part of your environment. You just... Yeah. So not everyone's a first generation, like, immigrant kind of thing, or, or second generation. But I guess at school, what, what can we do to... I guess, because I, I remember taking Spanish, and I never really got into it much. It was classic American education right. of learning Spanish. Well, because... Well, I think Miami-Dade is a very, very good place. I think that because of the amount of Hispanic people that are here, you can't help but learn Spanish. Mm -hmm. And there's that respect for being bilingual. I think Miami, if, well, I really believe that Miami is the pilot project for the rest of the United States. Mm. I'm sure California does it well, probably Texas does it too, but there's very, something very special. People have risen to very, very high ranks here of ingenuity, resilience that we talked about, um, self-confidence. Yeah, the amount of diversity here is, is crazy. Oh, it's, 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 it's nuts. I mean, the, it's, it's all of South America in one melting pot, you know? Uh, my husband, who is a, a, a very dramatic and extraordinary human being, and I would always say to him, we have to take a trip. We have to get out of here. He says, what are you talking about? You can't go anywhere. Everybody's coming here. It's true. And everybody came here, and they're still coming. You love so, Miami, friend. You, like, your I love do, of Miami, I do, I do, I, I do, on a I scale do. of one to ten, it's probably a ten. From from so for, for that reason, you are always destined to be a local voices Miami guest. Well, I love where I am, and I love wherever I am, as long as it exudes richness, personality, diversity, excitement, good food. Uh, yeah. You know, good. Well, I mean, people, Miami, Miami's up there for that. Latin music, where else? Come on. I mean, I'm a Bronx girl, so I know Latin music. Okay, so let's go back to the story of, of how you moved here, like show. when you first came so, to Miami. So, uh, I had this extraordinary husband that I was married to for 43 years. And in his childhood, he had rheumatic fever. And he had to live in Miami for two years. And through that, he became a Latin music aficionado. And uh, it was that love of the music that when he was able to, wanted to be here. This was like a draw to be with, in Hispanic population, with the musicians, with the ability to grow with it and to work it, which he could have if he would have lived long enough. 
there's major the radio station WDNA if you're familiar it's a wonderful place where you can have your own radio show and do your own salsa music so that was a, ma a major thing not so much for me but for him our kids were out of the house and um, I loved what I was doing in New York and I really didn't want to go but whither thou goest I will go so it was a horror a horror when I moved here but so you, survived. you your I husband moved here it. it was his job that was he retired so it was just his love of Miami drew you here he had enough he wanted to retire and this is what he did to make that So you happen. came here as a retiree from off the bat? I was never a retiree. I was always going to get another job. Okay. And I did. And what, did you get, what was your first job in Miami? Uh, first of all, I worked eight years as my own consultant, Fran Gordon, early childhood experts and associates. So I worked here and I really, and nobody will hire you here unless you get in through that tunnel of going here, there, and everywhere, and getting to know. It's ferocious out there. Yeah. It's a different, west of 95, is a whole different world, and I cultivated it. And I'm blessed that I cultivated it. I miss, I mean, this is one slice of life. You've got to see what's going grid, on the on the grid. other side. Oh, it's the best. So I spent eight years investigating, and I was working with David Lawrence at the time, who is was the publisher. The editor of the Herald for many, many. Do you know the name? No. Oh, you need to do that, really. Read his stuff on the Herald. Yeah, he's um, he's written a lot of books. One book I either I have or I've given away. But uh, his secretary hooked me up with Head Start, so I got a very nice position with Head Start as their education service manager. So that was like uh, a major opening into a whole other thing, even as an early childhood educator. There's different programs within, within early childhood, and Head Start is a major force. It's your tax dollars, comes out of your pocket, that pays for servicing probably millions of children throughout the United States. An extraordinary program that has the best of everything. The missing ingredient, you can't get rich kids to go there. Only the poor go there. So I have a little issue with that, but that maybe will be soft one day. Okay. And so so you were working how long in Miami before you actually retired? So I was working eight years on my own as an early childhood consultant doing work for the National Association for the Education of Young Children, teaching at Nova University, Barry University, Union Institute, Miami-Dade College, and Broward. Um, and then I got Head Start, so I was with Head Start for about 13 years. What was Head Start? That was the National Head okay, Start that, program yeah. that your tax, you yeah. pay for. And what, so how do they give a Head Start, really? What is it about? They service children three months through five years of age, and they do all the essential developmentally appropriate practices, which is a big word, in early childhood, to give these children an extraordinary Head Start, which means all the facet of philosophy that you have, nurturing, uh, listening, uh, negotiation theories, active learning, a classroom full of materials. So they really go out to the heart of the matter to get into neighborhoods where there are children that if they didn't have this would really be in trouble. Mm -hmm. With parents who are not reading or writing or speaking. So, you know, there's a major effort. You know, we're all over okay. the Redlands. Didn't you say you worked at uh, in Jungle Island or something as well? Or what was that about? I was at the Children's Museum. You worked at the Children's Museum. That was after Head Start? Right. So I couldn't get out of the business. They kept on calling me back, So, um, which was an honor. So um, the Children's Museum has a school. Instead, two schools. They have a charter school. And they have an early childhood program. So I was part of the early childhood program, getting them accredited by a national accreditation body. After I did that for them, which took over a year, they never told me to leave. So I thought my job was over. But they said, see you on Monday. So I kept on coming back. So I turned out to be help them with projects. It was kind of a nice gig to have because it was also another part of Miami. 
the Midtown Miami, the yeah. Brickell Miami, the other Miami where the architects are and the professional guys that come in from Brazil and Venezuela to work on these mammoth projects. So I really have been blessed. I've seen the heart of this place. And each and every day it was like, wow, wow, I can't believe it. These are my neighbors. That's how extraordinary this place is. It's in pockets, so you can't get the extraordinary part of it unless you go out of the pocket. You know, we're in a pocket. We're in a major pocket. We're yeah. in a service area pocket right here. But the pockets, um, the little Haiti pocket and the United Way pocket and the Liberty City pocket, it's dramatic. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I moved from San Francisco, which is renowned for how many how different their neighborhoods are. Yeah. They're all so different. You got the yeah. Mission, the Marina, that's, you know, um, basically there's the dog patch. Like, there's just like Brooklyn, or I'm uh, talking about Oakland. Uh, it's very diverse, and Miami has that as well. It's, it's amazing. It's I mean, a wonderful flavor. And that's kind of what I'd say is required. Yeah, but you're the, the Chinese and the Japanese, more so, the Asian population. Right, the sunset. And, yeah, that's... No, it's, it's complete flip-flop. It's, it's like the Latin, like, in, right. in San Francisco was like the Asian version of Miami. Yeah, kind it's of thing. so great. And, yeah. you know, I, I'm much, I'm in Latin. I like Latin culture. I don't know. I, so let's talk about that while you're while you're ringing up. I think um, salsa okay. is one of your one well, of your great passions. Let's I talk on, about that. I keep on getting these presents from people, and the presents are you know, good jobs, good relationships, and I think a major gift that I got from my husband was this Latin uh, an adoration of the Latin fever. Latin no. fever. Latin fever. Perfect. It's yeah. great. Yeah. Well, Latin mania, mania, Tito Puente. So he, album. the first time you danced, he just, did, did you remember, was it first he was playing the music or was it just like he just brought you out dancing once? You know, I don't even know. He had a wonderful bedroom, you know, similar to this in a, in a way. And um, he was, uh, he had timbales in his room and played along. And I guess we didn't, we had phonographs. So I guess where he was playing a lot of LPs. He's a collector also mm. of Latin music. And in the heyday, in my heyday, 1960, 1950s perhaps, when you went to a party, you took all your LPs with you, all your favorite music, and you wrote your name on it. So on all of my husband's LPs was Gordon scrawled across the cover so that when you left for the evening, you could gather all your records mm. and take them home. But we can, I contributed all of his records, over a thousand of them, to Boys and Girls Harbor, a music school. It was Johnny Cologne's music school, is in Boys and Girls Harbor. And um, I contributed all of his LPs there. Next door to Boys and Girls Harbor is the New York City Museum. And they took all of his album covers and they made a whole collage of them on one wall. And every one of those records had Gordon, Gordon right. in front of it. So this was you know, just a love, not only a love of the music and dancing the music, but knowing the music, knowing the musicians, knowing their names, knowing what they played, where they played, who they played with, like that. So this was like a concerted effort, but not like a job. But like out of love, mm -hmm. you know, like a, you know, this is what he did. So yeah, that was a major awakening. Because who would listen to Spanish music in my Jewish household? Right, Nobody. so you're, you're Jewish. And that's what's Nobody. so surprising about you. So yeah. you're 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 like 100% Jewish, right? Yeah, good. And yet, good yet you're uh, a, a Jewish salsera, as you're proud of. <laughs> Jewish salsera. And princess. that's a little unique. I mean, maybe not in Miami, but uh, it's it's definitely... Basically, you, you have brought me on to a lot of Latin music that I didn't oh, even know about. Didn't like, for example, uh, give, me, give me some of your favorite uh, Latin artists. Well, we, just, we talked about that, so certainly, you know, the old guard. And, you know, Johnny Pacheco died recently. Uh, it was a Latin musician who didn't even live in Miami, but they honor him here in Miami. A flute player, a, a, a charanga man. You know about the charanga with the flutes and the violins. And Who's that? Johnny Pacheco. Johnny Pacheco. So he recently died, but I danced to Johnny 
Pacheco. And How Do You Dance with Johnny Pacheco on 86th Street in Manhattan was this club called the Corso. And you walk up the flight of steps just like you would in the Palladium. And there was this magnificent ballroom. You know, it wasn't a restaurant, it was a ballroom. And there was this magnificent stage of these musicians. Not like five, like 35 of them all up there and they would jam and they would play and your heart would go out because you know what went into that. Mm. It's very always very moved by it, even to this day. Nesta Torres is wonderful, the flute player, but I dance to everybody and each and everybody and even I, I have very wealthy cousins and they're fabulous parties. And at one of their parties, either at the plaza or someplace, couple of the musicians were Latin musicians. Now they were gigs. They don't care what they play. They can play anything. So they're in the front row of the Rainbow Room, wherever it was, with these Latin musicians. And my husband knew who they were. And he was able to go over to them and, you know, just to see you. So mm. it was always that that was part of it. We always had wonderful parties in my house. Um, and I always made, found people like you find people that add to your life. So I would find people that added to my husband's life. So I picked up a couple, Nadia who lives in this building and her girlfriend at the time, Ellen, who came to my home to my husband's 40th birthday, whatever it was, played harp and kunga. I was a director, I won't even tell you about my directorships, I was a director, early childhood director of schools so in one of my schools, there was a very famous arranger who arranged music for the most extraordinary musicians on the planet. They came to my house for a birthday party. So I just made a lot of connections for him and uh, I got the benefit out of it. Okay, so I mean, your eyes, your eyes, you light up when we talk I about know, Latin culture. Is know, it was it like amazing. was that how it was in your life? Were you was the was the Latin period of your life like a in the north? Like a, was it? A, were you just, always this energetic? I would really like to think so. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, because yeah. you you always. I know. I just get out of myself. Well, you work out a lot too. You're <laughs> that's that so your one good. I, I know it. you because that's the, you are a regular at the JCC, but not only that, like. You, you're, you're like one of the, every day, right? Is it every day you Pretty do something? Much, yeah. uh -huh. You are an inspiration to a lot of maybe older people who've kind of like Give maybe stopped that. And let me tell you something else. That was the other gift my husband gave me. So we were very competitive and um, I don't even know how it happened. I think a neighbor of mine started to run. And I said, okay, I'm gonna go run with Kathy. But he was suffering from some, you know, body issues and was going to a physical therapist. So out of the blue, he was doing exercise, major exercise. We bought a lat rack and a rower and a bike and one of those systems with pulleys and a Nordic flex. And our kids had left by this time, so their whole bedroom turned into a gym. And then there's something else that happened in her life that also made me want to be better, to do better. And he stayed home and worked out and I went to the gym. And we, were, but even before the gym business, we were running, we we're running together. We we're running with a group. Mm. And I never wanted to do anything. I never, you know, I was really like, mm, I don't want to go there. I want to go sleep. I was just leave me alone but I got pushed into this for whatever reason competitiveness keeping my body worried that my husband was gonna leave me whatever it was that was happening this was the keys to the kingdom so I did three New York City marathons three marathons wow. and you know it's the training forget the marathon that's the easy part it's that yeah stuff you know I've tried just running a marathon now you got to train up to it you got to run like 19 miles That's 20 it. miles my last marathon I just did hills and steps 
You went. You did the same run in Puerto Vallarta that I did. And right, that was yeah, the, the hilly that's run. Right, it's beautiful. That's right. That was yeah. a gorgeous. And like, I, I don't even know if I have it anymore. But my number was a cloth, was a rag, you know, with the safety pins. But it wasn't the paper number that you get in the park. So. Um, so it was your husband who really motivated you to become was, an athlete. Right. Yeah, and that's yeah. Isn't I mean, that that's what to see. You see, that's what. I'm so pissed at my son and pissed at you. T- it's 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 a two it's a couple thing. And if you get the right and we had all of our ups and downs, but if you get that thing that it's respect, beautiful. it's a lot of respect. It's a lot of I care. You kind of embrace each other's. I mean, he knew nothing about early childhood, but he would come with me wherever I went and allow me to do whatever I needed to do. And it was just extraordinary. But, so he, I went to a gym. and So I went to a gym at 5.30 in the morning for six years called Metrofit in Pella Manor. 6.30, sorry, the gym, we were there, I was there at 5.30. That meant a 4.15 wake up in New York. This wasn't Miami. Mm-hmm. So New York with my work clothes, because I'm going to shower and go to my job, and I'm meeting not only a girlfriend, but a trainer, a big black guy, who is going to be work with me. So that what the six years began, that episode of going to the gym and working out with Wilson and uh, whatever her name was, teeny little... Spanish girl, and we would squat, and we would lift, mm. and we would, I could never pull up, do a pull up, but never, we were uh, doing effort, I mean, as best as you I You built could. your willpower there, I mean, that was late there in life, though, right? I was, a pro, I remember Wilson, who was this big guy, said, you know, I'm going to turn you into a bodybuilder by the time you're <laughs> 50. So I must have been in my 40s at that Yeah, time. so it's never too late. I mean, some people it's almost think too, like, oh, too late. I never grew up, I never worked out when I was young. No, you know, it's never too late to start being someone who sweats every day. Like, that was you. But I've turned into that. I've turned yeah. into more than I've ever been. Like, now, I don't, like, argue with myself to go to no. the gym. I go faster. I get there as fast as yeah. I could. No, Tony Thomas was talking about this, like, once you do something enough with enough like discipline, like it's no longer a question of if you're gonna do it. Like right. there's no more doubt exactly. that you're gonna do it. Like for me, I work out every day like, in some fashion or running or gymming or some kind of sport. There's no question that I'm gonna sweat every day. Like some you want to. There's not. A, it's not it. a question. I had my spin class today when it was over, and I went into it. I wanna. You still get sometimes a little bit of uh, unease, or you're you're not feeling it. But there's at some point after years of doing it every day, you're just like, I mean, it's, it's less and less. If you miss it, it's worse than when you do it. You know? so it's like the lesser of two evils of just doing it. Because you, you know, you've probably you know, if if you've worked out long enough, you know what happens when you don't work out and how you feel, and it's horrible. You've had that. It's in, ingrained in hole. your brain of that feeling. I have a box full of medals I must show you sometime filled. So I actually want to share something. I don't know. I, I used to smoke marijuana a lot more, um, but I'm just going to share now when I smoke marijuana, I am depressed for like two, three yeah, days yeah, afterwards because it, I get the, I get the after, after like, it's almost like a hangover of like, good. okay, now like all the i got i it was i don't know i just can't do it anymore and now like recently i i you know and i i just reminded myself like no more for me like i've i've had that experience and for me i don't get any higher than a great conversation thank Mm -hmm. you friend but b obviously exercise endorphins uh meditation great reflection family chatting like that's what really makes me high. But like the thing is, like I know what high feels like. <laughs> like <laughs> I think that you do too. But of course. I mean, you have to go Look through. Like my year. husband was also a pharmacist, you know. <laughs> oh gosh, <laughs> I don't want to hear the worst of it. But uh, yeah, that's something. I mean, no. At the end of the day, you sometimes you have to you have to experience things in life. Um, at the same time, you have to experience a lot of suffering to really enjoy life. Uh, you have to challenge yourself. You have to go through hard periods. What was one of your, the hardest things that you had to do in your life? I don't know. There's always a, a major tap challenge. There's always 
something. And then, you know, there were issues. You know, my husband was sick for a while. You know, there were, there were things that occur. There's no money. You know, you kind of have to map it out. But in between, and actually, I don't really remember anything bad. And that's like a good thing. Because yeah. I just remember the good, whatever happened, you surpassed it. And that made you better at it. And I like the many, many times I had to change that because I was always like stuck. But when I got out of it, it was this enormous release. But never did uh, Tony Robbins. I did Werner Earhart. Who? Werner. Werner Earhart. Werner Earhart. The S training, the landmark. Okay. Oh, right. landmark training. Yeah. So yeah. you know it is landmark. So I know it is asked, and uh, that was also a major, a major opening that your who you are isn't just this who you think you are. It's more than that, and it's very hard to let that more than that enter because I don't know. It's like a, a collapses. The only the only thing that I could say is. There were times that I was so very, very angry that I would always say, fuck you, I don't want anything to do with you. I'd run up the stairs, slam the door. That was the end of the night, most probably the next day and the day after. And then the realization comes in that, gee, I did that at four years of age. You know, that was my behavior. And look what I'm carrying to my adulthood, the same fuck yourself, up the stairs, slam the door, you know. <laughs> so there were things like that that you can kind of learn from that show that, hey, you're not really right all the time, that there's another way of being. So I applaud that in myself. Um, and I also did a lot of teaching. And when you teach, mm -hmm. you learn and you speak from your own heart. And from yourself and then when you're evaluating it or reflecting on it you really grow or see gee never thought of that how mm. great I was to respond in that way so oh teaching is I mean you gain dignity in yourself you gain self-love as well and, and you contribute that's why any volunteering opportunities that's the best one it's you find volunteering opportunities where you're able to share and, and, and mentor. Well, it's the essence of your own growth. I mean, the whole change that you see in your dialogue. I mean, working with a Hispanic community and a black community, and you got to see how you can forge a relationship doing what you want to impress on them as the right thing. Watch me. I have something to teach you. Mm -hmm. And then they learn it, or maybe they don't learn it. They understand it, so they can be a little bit more open. And you did that. You created that opening for mm -hmm. them if they need to or want to. Take yeah, that's why it's you can never like spend enough time with the children, you know, and, right. and sharing okay. the, the good virtues that you've learned and the values and and you know the, the child. That's what I miss. Is I, I love being a big brother in Boston when I was a big brother there. Um, but it's there was no other quite feeling like it of mentoring. I think mm -hmm. mentoring itself is a thing that is a little bit. I say, it, as a people in the world, we're probably mentoring at like thirty, forty percent of the capacity that we could be. We're we trained. Could, we to could do have a that. lot more. No, but not even training. Just before grandparents used to like live with the family right. and they would mentor. Provide. And, That's right. But like now we don't have that, so we need so, we need technology to come up with platforms that connect people so one cool shout out I just started this golfers of Miami group where you know my my vision is that kind of connect some of the more senior folk and the younger folk learning kind of connect these friend friendships together based on playing golf together that's kind of one new idea I had just this week but you know also the ages too that's what we did in early childhood would have foster grandparent programs and the grandparents would come in and they tie shoelaces and white mouths and help kids wipe off tables and, you know, just be participating in the class. And it's a wonderful environment for kids to see it, just the same way they should see workers and society. <clears throat> so it's a, it's a wonderful place and it has to, you have to provide for it in a lot of different ways. And I really feel like 
I've gotten a lot of accolades and a lot of um, good things. So I kind of like that. Yeah. It's good to have that. This is a hard question, Fran. So we'll see how fast you answer it because you're pretty good. All right. Because right. no, like, I'm, I'm going to start doing uh, Miami trivia, like on, on open air malls in Miami, like Lincoln Road. I'm going to start bringing my, uh, my microphone out there and, and getting funny videos where I ask people like, hey, what are some of your good habits or what's something you know about Miami that, that, that is unique or what's, you know, or I could say, you know, did you know X, Y, Z, which, which, which of one, two, three true about Miami? No, I'm looking for also people to contribute to my Miami trivia library of like, you know, funny historical things about Miami. What is something that you know about Miami that you can share in terms of, say there was someone new to Miami and you were like, the history of Miami is amazing. This is it. Well, we were here at the very beginning, or maybe the very end, the very beginning of South Beach and the very end of the way it was of the old South Beach. So we kind of saw uh, everything, the transformation, um, which was quite an extraordinary thing to be participating in, how a neighborhood changes. But what was your question as far as... Uh, Miami trivia, where you can contribute. I mean, that's a, that's well, a like tough Well, like the one. hotel, you know, like... Well, my grandparents stayed at the Marlin down the block, but... What was in the Marlin? The um, Marlin? There's so many hotels. Right, you know, not only my grandparents, but... <laughs> you couldn't even walk down Washington Avenue, you know? It just wasn't a friendly place. And the places that I remember... I remember when the diner came here, there was a wonderful place called Lulu's. So that's a good trivia. Do you remember Lulu's? Lulu's. Lulu's. It's gone now? It's gone now. It was this wonderful little restaurant on Washington Avenue that served mostly Southern cuisine with a touch of soul food. And it was always crowded and there was a wonderful ambiance of crazy things all over the world. But it was a, a local place, so you felt comfortable in there and... You still go to that diner, right? You were there. Yeah, Bagels and Locks with my friend Street, her, right? 11th Street Diner. Yeah. She moved from Pennsylvania, which has a lovely, lovely garden. Okay. So for a cute little party or okay. a nice lunch. So there's the diner, and then there's the porch of the diner, and then on 11th Street there's a little enclosed garden. Okay. Recommend it. Yeah, we're about that point for uh, Miami shout-outs. What, what are some of our other your favorite venues or restaurants in Miami or chefs? Well, you know, uh, Japanese food is good for me. You love Japanese? Yeah, is that what we're going to have tonight? Is that <laughs> Why not? I think we're going to do a dinner party here afterwards. It's yeah, a little different sure. today. <laughs> um, I'm easy when it comes to that. It's nice to have a variety. I'm thrilled that South, Be- South, South, South of Fifth has kind of emerged because yeah. that seems to be like a new hangout, hideout yeah. kind of a place. Um which is nice. It's nice to have the variety. Sunset Harbor, too, is filled. But these places were never, ever here. It was just yeah. nothing. So the diner, Lulu's, there was a wonderful place called The Strand. Strand. You would see everybody. All the tennis players would come in. And you're always in the middle of this, where is the next person? Because it was like the secret society here. At Strand. The, okay. the Strand. The very yeah. beginning. It's like Komodo these days. There's this other, this is a new Asian spot in yeah. near Brooklyn. Yeah. But, you know, it was just, and Tony's is still here. That was here at the very, very beginning. And the, what was interesting, so Tony's had an adorable waiter. Really, he was just so sweet. And we would go to the beach all the time. Um, so there was one day that um, my husband always wanted me to go topless, but I just... <laughs> Because that's what the beach was. Wait, I guess South Beach was topless beach? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It wasn't that it was a topless beach. It was just... You yeah. just it's Miami. went topless. You know, it was Miami. So that was never my thing. But I always wanted to make him happy. So, of course, the one day that I said, that I said, look, 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 here I am. I took off my top and that, oh, he was very, that was very nice. But the guy on the other blanket was the waiter from... Tony's, so I was uh, embarrassed, and nobody applauded. Now every time you went there, you were, are you scared to go back? Did you ever yeah. go back? <laughs> you know, once you do it, big deal, you know, yeah. it's just, who cares? Sorry that I did it, but it doesn't matter, but it was like a thing, so, okay. 
it's like you know you got to try it to see if you like it you don't know exactly that's life you're you're smart Fran uh, so obviously you know you are one of the great women in Miami in terms of you know your zest and how much you love Miami so March is Women's Month mm. who are some of your other women you look up to in Miami well I'm very impressed with the, with the level of um, politics here the women that are running to commission meetings and are part of the fray of doing good things uh, for Miami I'm not part of that not really political don't care to be unless it's really something urgent um, but I've been very impressed with you know so many I mean I've worked in the Children's Museum with Debbie Spiegelman who is the director of the museum and there's a woman who started out just as a grant writer and became a director um, the, the Bass Museum woman too the mayor of Miami now, the, right? Daniela Levine. And Daniela Levine. And I know Daniela from Temple Israel. And a very, very impressive woman. And that's really an exciting part of who women are. And I'm glad you mentioned her. That's really That'd be fun to have her on in March. Extraordinary. Yeah. She would probably love it. And you know, yeah. Okay. We'll reach out to her. Yeah. I mean, she, we got to have the mayor of Miami over on the, the podcast. It'd be great. It'd be like a. It'd be very exciting, for sure. Um, and you know, I don't think he interviewed uh, another one of Harvey's, Ray Breslin, who's the um, Collins Park like president, but one of his children that he mentors works for Daniela. Mm. So you know, he could Tony, so he could help too. Okay. All right, last question, Fran. You are you have a great habit of walking the track, and that's when you listen to audiobooks and podcasts. How can we get more people in Miami, maybe some who are more nightlife focused or just don't find the time for learning or reading, like how can we get more Miami listening to podcasts, like growing as, as humans? It's very hard for me. I never have the time to do it. The, that going yeah. around the track was the only time. On a spin bike, I'm listening to an instructor and her loud, yeah. crazy music. Maybe when I'm working out in the gym, I plan on going back in a week or two. It's really, honestly, like, I even look at my own week. When do I actually listen to a podcast? When it's like you... when I'm walking to the grocery store, like, to Publix, and I'm like, okay, this is my time of the week, do the shopping for the week, and then on the walk, I listen to a podcast. And, you know, it, it always changes. Sometimes it's Tony Robbins, sometimes it's Jay Shetty. Uh, it's, it's different, but it's, it's, that's my happy time to, like, do my shopping and listen. So I don't even listen to podcasts when I'm doing laundry. But like I think I, I, what might be smart is for me to hand out some business cards to people who are like going to Publix or something. You what know? about like, like an individual seriously. podcast, like on a on a little gizmo that they could have to like start them, so they don't have to find it. Oh, I'm not handing out D, I'm not handing out CDs. CD <laughs> CDs. I'm sure it could even be programmed into a little. Oh, you just, like, no, it's about, it's, everything is, everything is digital and, right, and online, so you just got to have them a good business card where they're like, yeah, maybe I'll check this out. Mm -hmm. um, but more importantly, I never remember, I never think about it. Yeah. I'd rather listen to NPR in the car or, yeah. I don't have CDs anymore in the car. But yeah, it's habit building. So it's a habit, it really is. And when I think about it, like I really, I had my hair done, so I was, I could have had, I had about 45 minutes that I could have listened mm. if I would have prepared, which meant taking headphones yeah. and finding your station without spending 15 minutes looking for it and just doing it. Also, sometimes some people have some space in the morning to, you know, it's, it's, I don't it's something, it's something that you could do is, is... Don't you like to watch Hoder and Kathy? I don't like watching TV in the morning, absolutely not. But like, I think putting on a podcast while you scroll social media, for all those who scroll social media and spend hours doing that, and they can check See, now how much they're doing that, well, look, you can also put on a, a podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, while you scroll social media. So, Maybe that's my, uh, <laughs> my suggestion. Well, at the same time. So you're really focusing on a lot of different well, things. That's but if you're listening to something, you know, you want to be immersed in it, you know, like a Malcolm Gladstone kind of thing. You want to be... 
Yeah, well, I love when people. I, I love walking podcasts, so I think I gotta that's, go find the walkers of Miami, which is that, rare. That's, but that's, there's also the commuters of Miami who wanna right. wanna learn things on right. their commute, which is a bit less with COVID. But still, I mean, there's the, the people who drive and and want to learn something. You have to give up your TV. You have to give up all the other things that you do in order to be a podcaster. No, that's not true. There's a space and time. I I watch TV uh, usually, you know, before, or after dinner, during dinner. Um, you know, or that's usually the time for it. But there's a time for everything. I think uh, I don't. If, I, if you're making the time for it, if you're really saying to yourself, "I want to listen to this," I'm going to listen from six to six thirty, and then I'll have dinner. You know, like that. Or I, I won't turn on the TV. I mean, it's an experiment, and I mean, podcasting. Let's be real, is a huge industry. So people are there are really podcast is. listeners out you there. You saw the, what I sent you with yeah. Barack. Bruce Springsteen and, and Barack are, are going to chat I, together. I think that's, that's great. exciting. So. Right. Thank you, Fran, for uh, you know being a a local voices guest. You're forever a local voices guest. You'll be so coming welcome. to the to the local voices uh, uh, barbecue, the All Saints Day barbecue. When is that? That's gonna be every All Saints Day after Halloween. Oh, okay. And we might do it at the Botanical Garden. Yay! And you're invited to that. And then we're gonna do Local Voices Week every uh, week before the Super Bowl, where we will get some footage of people and and put together a little reel that can be on. Hulu or YouTube or Netflix or whatever and then yeah I'm gonna start hitting the streets and uh, talking to more people because uh, there's amazing people in Miami there's honestly no I'm shortage. I'm very impressed I'm so very impressed. There's no shortage. You know it, especially if you go to the gym and you start to meet people and you're amazed by what their capabilities are and what they're up to and for some reason there's more of an affinity to get closer here I don't know if because of the weather people are more relaxed but you're able to get to know people a little bit better and a little bit more make some fantastic friends yeah no you are uh, different friends a lot of different friends different different we gotta get you uh i mean no you, you I have are, south beach friends i have bloody first street friends I have west of 95 you're an inspiration friend you're an inspiration oh, to me <laughs> thank you for coming and uh, you're welcome let's Let's enjoy a meal together as well. <laughs> so what are, what are you hungry for? What do you want to do? Oh, you love sushi, so. So uh, let's, should we go? You should shout out your favorite sushi right now. Is it Tanuki? 